0: You can keep the clapping coming because I'd like to introduce to you Sean Gregg. Wow, <laughs> what a career we've just seen there on the screen. So we're going to have questions and answers, and there'll be an opportunity for people. Um, to ask questions from the floor just a little bit later on but the thir- first thing I'd like to ask you Sean, is about the inspiration and the influences in in your early career you've been very generous and named uh, Anthony Evans who's here this evening as uh, Shan's teacher at um, Escolgevin Glantave um, and you've mentioned in the past your mum and I'm fascinated to hear a little bit more about your mum.
1: Uh, well, my mum was a makeup artist in BBC Wales. Um, and I just remember as a kid, her makeup kit and playing with it and the smell of the old makeup and just loving that box. And my mum being like, when you can play with it, but everything has to go back where you've where it came from. Um, and uh, yeah, I've got fond memories of that. And my mum or like used to practice makeup and she'd always use like my dad or or and I'd be really interested in watching her do it and and things so that was my earliest inspiration to be a makeup artist and then I thought no I'm when I got to a teenager I was like no I'm not going to be a makeup artist I'm going to be an artist (laughs) and that was thanks to Anthony Evans being such an inspirational teacher there and um and then I came to Cardiff College of Art Uh, Howard Gardens which is now The Met um, which is gorgeous now I have to say Um, and I had a lovely year there and it was really um, sort of quite freeing, the foundation year is very freeing, you're you're sort of allowed to just sort of splash around, you know make a mess, do whatever you want to do and and I realised that actually painting canvases is quite torturous from the point of view of you sit there and you just think you're rubbish all the time. <laughs> you yeah. know, you just look at your work and you just think, oh, like, you know. And there's no one there to tell you, no, you're doing a good job. Whereas, and so then I thought, well, maybe painting faces might be the way forward, and maybe I'll go back to that plan. And it was at Howard Gardens that I made that decision, and I, from there I went to the London College of Fashion, and did a theatre studies course there. And um, yeah, painting faces, you know, they talk back to you and <laughs> and they usually like what you do and they and it's it's less um oh, torturous in some ways although it, there's a the stress is there i i found that interaction was better for me than being stuck in a room on my own with a canvas yes
0: less lonely as a yeah yeah as, a, as an artist i guess these days artists can interact with other people and there's lots of good examples of kind of interactive uh, well, uh, but then again, this is—that's what you are, I- after all. Now. Yeah,
1: I guess I am an yeah. interactive artist. I'm just painting a face. It's—it's yes. it's exactly the same skills. But
0: instant feedback.
1: Instant feedback, and also, I- it's—you know—it's I- onto film. Yeah. But it's not. Um, I- you don't have to necessarily sell your product. You know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's already sold when you're taking the job, I suppose. So, there's yeah. less. Yeah, I'll worry about yeah. that.
0: Yeah, so that's I. I don't know how many people are au fait with the work of a make makeup <laughs> artist, about what's actually involved in that. But something that that you said uh, in one of the interviews that you've done is about you're in the truth business. It's about belief. We've seen the clips on there and we we don't we were looking out i'm sure everybody in the room was looking out for the makeup but when you're in the cinema when you're watching a film you're immersed in that experience and it's about believing it so is that what it, w- the, there are so many things that you need to know about filmmaking and lighting and all the rest of it ha, ha, what what's the process that you go through for each each film well i think i think the most important thing is that
1: people don't notice your makeup. It's not, it's not about the makeup, it's about somebody being immersed in a film. And you don't want to take anybody out of that experience. The idea is that you're not aware of my work. Um, and, uh, and that is uh, the fundamental grounding of it. It's not a showcase, it, it is you're meant to make people believe that that Hollywood actor actually has lived in the woods for his whole life, has been a trapper, has been weathered, has has uh, w- like workman's hands, not the hands of somebody who's never picked up a shovel in his life. You know, it, it's little things like that that you have to um, bring to your characters to to make them believable, but without them being too on the nose, I suppose. And uh, yeah, it, it's it's always a challenge when you when you get a script. You know, I, I get a script and. People say to me, why do you need to read the script? And I'm like, well, it's the f- it's like the starting point, the script. You have to understand what happens to each character in your film, and you have to understand the character arc, because the your job, my job, is to help him tell that story visually. They are brilliant and can, and can convey the emotion, but my job is to make them... Feel like they are present in that environment, that they are truly that person
0: Yeah but yeah, I can, I can see that indeed there's something about being a makeup artist that as a designer, and you described it like painting faces. Um, it's, this is about personal style, and I think you've, you've said that Duncan Jarman, who is somebody that you've worked very closely with, you've said that you have similar tastes in makeup, and that struck me as being quite an interesting thing. If what you're doing is to design for each film as they come along and tell that story, what did you mean by similar tastes in makeup? Well, I think you get hired for a
1: job because people think your such style is suitable for it. You know, if you if you think about artists and you think, well, the Pre-Raphaelites compared to the um, Impressionists, you know, there's a d- huge difference. And it's the same in makeup. It's, you know, there are certain people that you think would be great for that project, and there are other people who you think would be good for another project. And I suppose you get a reputation for 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 the work that you do, and yeah, it's hard to describe your own style and it's hard to describe what I mean by Duncan and I have the same taste, but we've known each other since we were 20 and he's brilliant at prosthetics and he's brilliant at sculpting and he's brilliant at colour and we are both really critical. So neither of us mind if we'll, sit, we'll do a te- makeup test and then we'll say, that's terrible. <laughs> we hate it. Absolutely, absolutely hate it. It's terrible. Can't show anybody that. Nope. <laughs> and then we'll go back and try again and be like, okay, try and figure out what we hated about that, try and m- improve it. And it's, it, it, you know, it's not necessary. other people may not think it's bad, but we think it's bad. And so I- if you're working with someone that has the same taste as you, that helps because you're not, you criticize each other in the same way. It's not negative, it's, it's constructive criticism. And you can always do things better. Like on The Revenant, um, we tested that makeup so many times before we even got to Canada to shoot it, and we spent—you uh, know—we did—we did, we did <laughs> one test. We were like, well, "We're not sending that to the director. That's definitely—he's not seeing that. That didn't work at all." And then we were in a complete state of panic, thinking, "How are we going to make this work? It's so complicated. He has to, in one shot, be able to be." Ex- because they, the, with the revenant, they wanted to shoot it all in one continuous shot. So they wanted to take the bear off, him to be bloody. Well, of course, you take the bear off, all the blood's on the bear. <laughs> you know, uh, this is happening in shot. Then the, they wanted the neck to gurgle, which means air and blood coming out. The chest and the body cavities here to, to bleed, which is two colors of blood. And then he turns him over. And then you've got more blood coming out of the back. Now, you've got, <laughs> behind that, I've got a team of people. I've got, like, three people there operating the front. I've got three people there operating the back and somebody operating the air for the neck. And this is all happening in one shot in the torrential rain. <laughs> I mean, I thought it rained in Wales, but when I got to Vancouver, I realised that I've never seen rain like that in my life. It was unbelievably wet. And... You've got all those challenging and then somebody watching a little monitor there for their queue 100 metres away from where it's actually happening because they're doing a 360 and you can't see anybody. So technically, it was the worst nightmare you could ever have, (laughs) really. (laughs) But I did have a really great team and the special effects in Vancouver were amazing and they supported me enormously and and helped us with all the blood rigs and everything. But we were so neurotic about it, we even brought the blood rigs out from Britain because we were like, well, we don't trust that they'll have something that works mm -hmm. the same way as ours. And we brought the blood out, will the blood work the same? You know, it was just, uh, and we tested it several times before we even showed it to the director. And that was just the first stage of that makeup. Then you've got all the stages of recovery, then him getting sick again, and then him getting frostbite. You know, it's like on that film, the story was told through his face and through his body basically, and it was that one was quite challenging. And how
0: long did it take to film that then? How, what was that, that time oh, well period? That,
1: that was the job that never ended mm. because we started, we started in September, and we shot in um, Calgary. Then we moved to Vancouver for the bear attack scene, and it rained in a rainforest understandably which meant that the road washed away and we were on a logging we were down a logging road so the road washed away twice and then one time my makeup trailer was on its side um, because the floods and that pushed our shooting back enormously we were delighted because it meant we had more time to practice the makeup for the bear attack which was terrifying and then um, because of that then we went back to Calgary and Bit we were shot there. It started to snow, and they didn't want it to snow. Oh. Well, it was November in Canada. It's going to snow in November in Canada. You know, it's surprising it didn't snow in September, really. So then they shut down filming, and then we went back to Britain, and then it was like, well, we don't know where we're coming back to. Um, and then they eventually had us come back to Calgary. We shot in Calgary for a bit, and then the snow melted, because, of course, then they wanted snow. And then... <laughs> So then the snow melted, and we were like, oh, we've got to shut down again. So we shut down again, and then eventually they decided they were going to South America to shoot it, and we shot the snow there. We went all the way to South America for the winter, because it was summer in this hemisphere, and it rained all <laughs> the snow. Oh so they goodness. were bringing snow down from the mountains in lorries, as it melted, just shoveling it on, trying to make it look like it was still snowing. I said we were going to
0: get all the the behind-the-scenes stuff, and I think we're all all imagining what that must be like. And I was sort of chained
1: to it for a year and a half of my life. Oh, my goodness, And got paid for seven months. Oh. So not so
0: great, Ah, really. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) And so when you say that, you know... People hire you because of the particular style or the particular things that you're able to do. Is that normally the director then, or is it? It depends. Quite often, I work for the same director. I've worked for
1: Alex Garland several times. I've worked for the company that he works for several times. Um, But quite often, actors will ask for you, and you know, it's (laughs) you've got to understand the relationship that you have with actors. You know, it's six o'clock in the morning. They probably don't want to speak to anybody. Do you want to speak to anyone at 6 o'clock? They just want a cup of coffee, sit there, think about their lines, and, um, and know somebody's going to do their job, you know, and not have to worry about, have I got the right bruise on? Have I, is my hair parted in the right place? They, you know, so that is why you get asked again, because it, 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 it's comforting having somebody there that you know and also not to have to worry about it.
0: OK, we'll, we'll come on to that a bit more in a moment. But th- you've just we've <coughs> talked a little bit about location, so budget is the other thing, I mean, clearly, you know, it was a b- the Revenant was a big budget film, and it paid off. And it, it, it you know, it was. It, it was wasn't fantastic. meant to be a big
1: budget film. Was it not? No, it yeah. ended up being, being very a very big, yes. big
0: budget film. And making a big because of, of the weather, too. probably. Yes. But yeah. But you've worked, you've worked as well on smaller budget films. What's the di- What's is it as enjoyable? Is it? What's the difference for you? Um, I think. It,
1: you know, variety is always nice in any job. Variety is nice, but my roots are in British sort of low to medium budget films. And that's what I love to do because it is like a family atmosphere. It's, you know, the whole crew on these big productions. You can't possibly know everybody. You know, I just sort of give up on living and learning everyone's names because you just, the, the cute crews are massive. Um, b- but on the little British ones, then you tend to know everyone and it's a bit like a family and it's, you know, it, it it's, rea- it's really nice, and you, you uh, inevitably work with the same people again, because it's mm. a small industry at the end of the day, and yeah. it's
0: really mm. nice. Yeah. Uh, let's r- we'll move on to working with, with people, and I noticed that you know, when you're looking through the credits on a film, there are, there's different terminology uh, in terms of the, the particular roles that you've played in different, in different films. So sometimes it's a team, it's a team role you're the team leader in terms of, of mm-hmm. a group of makeup artists, and at other times you 're a personal makeup artist. Can you kind of unpack that a bit for us and explain what's the world what's that world like in uh, w- There are all those different roles, and i'd like to hear a little bit more about them
1: well when you 're a head of department, um, you are res- so when i 'm the designer of Makeup and hair. I am prosthetics. I'm responsible for the whole look of the film, Um, and you know, quite often, um, a makeup designer will decide they don't want to do a prosthetics on the film, or they will decide they don't want to do the hair on the film, and and each film is individual. And you, like, I would only take on a job that I thought I could do properly, and if. And sometimes it's really nice to have control over everything because then you know you can hire the right people in. You can't do it all yourself. It's a team mm-hmm. activity. You know, you just can't do it on your own. And if you're in charge of everything, you can hire in the people who have similar tastes to you. It doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It just means it's my taste. And it just means that then I can make sure that I ha- it looks the way I want the whole thing to look rather than... Um, Say if the prosthetics are particularly, uh, y- you know, you might have somebody who's particularly heavy handed. Um, it doesn't mean that's not good for some films, but for other films that might not be great. Um, or someone who does very cosmetic makeup or very tidy hair you know I might want the hair to look really natural and not to look like a hairdresser's done it in which case you know you can pick and choose who works with you to get that feel on each individual film Mm. and when you're a personal then usually you've been asked by the actor um, and they ask you because you know it's comfortable it's nice it's Mm. you know it's a, a safe environment then and um, uh, when, you, when you're a personal, you don't necessarily... Like in America, I can't do hair, because in the American Union, you're only allowed to do makeup. Um, and, but I can do prosthetics. And I, if I'm a personal, I usually take charge of the prosthetics and the makeup because they're so interwoven. And I enjoy doing that. But that doesn't always have to be the case. Sometimes personals don't do um prosthetics they don't do um facial hair or you know there may be something that they don't feel they're good at and then they would you know and that's i think and knowing your limitations is is an important part of the job as well and not taking on something that you that you can't or, or you're not going to do a good enough job at because at the end of the day it's the film that suffers mm. you know you, you you can't have an ego about this stuff it, it you are making a film and the film is the important thing and not to um, do anything to undermine it really.
0: So that's an intro, you, you've, you've just made me think about egos, <laughs> e- egos generally in terms of having to negotiate on the job if you want to do something different to what's expected and negotiating that in a in a highly charged and and sometimes quite uh, stressful situation. Does that does that happened much? Yeah, it does happen. I, I mean, I think that
1: for me, I always like to. Before I come to a film, I usually have photos of the makeup. If it's a particularly big makeup, then I usually practice it before I come out. I have pictures of it. I have sort of sketches, if you like, of what I'm going to do, so that then I can present that to the director and know if I'm going in the right way. I know that. Like if it's with Leo, well, I know he's going to be usually happy with things I do because we have similar taste and he will obviously add or or make suggestions because he's very interested in his makeup and uh, and I will listen to that and and make alterations or tell him he's wrong, you know, one or the other. You know, it, it goes both ways and so they're not always right. And I'm not always right, you know, and it is, it's a process of trying things and seeing what works. Um, and I always think it's really hard for a director when they get landed with a personal makeup artist because they're sort of stuck with you, and and, and I do feel bad for them because it's their film. You could so gang up. Yeah, it's, that's <laughs> not fair. You know, no. it's their film and it's mm-hmm. their vision, and you sort of it, it is such a team thing. You have to sort of work together, and I I, I always hope that I manage to achieve that. And I think if you if you're always trying to do better, then people appreciate that. And if you if you're doing if you present something that looks all right,
0: then usually they're they're happy with that. Yeah. Uh, you, and uh, you you've mentioned Leonardo DiCaprio, and I'm sure everybody <coughs> in the room is aware of that. Um, you know, 20 years of working with someone on most of the films that he's been involved with, if not all of them. Yeah, yeah, luckily he's not that prolific,
1: <laughs> because you know it's it's a lot of time you spend with somebody, and yeah. it's nice to do something else. I do. Yes, I, that's what I like about my job is the variety. Yes, and to be stuck with the same person yes, day in day yes. out all year. Well, that's uh, you know yes, it's 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 right. it's but nice to have a gap and then see him and go, oh, what have you been up to? You yes. know that's and he usually does one film every eighteen months or something. Yes. sometimes he does them closer together, but, but usually to I do.
0: To be personally thanked in his acceptance, uh, acceptance speech, so so on winning the best actor at the, global, uh, the Golden Globe Award for The Revenant in 2015, he personally, out of all the people who he worked with, I'm sure he mentioned some other people, but he particularly mentioned you in very glowing terms. That's unusual, isn't it?
1: It is, but we spend a lot of time in the makeup chair on that job. <laughs> 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 oh my god! It was—he used to watch documentaries, and we just—we, I mean, we spent hours and hours in that makeup trailer. I mean, I spent hours with before I even got near him with makeup. It was a massive, massive job technically, yes. and just, um, uh, you know, the full body makeups are always just—you just sort of have to brace yourself for them. it. It, it, it's a over a four hour, four and a half hour makeup, but he can't sit still that long. So yeah. it takes like six hours. Yes. But that is great for me because it means I get a chance to clean my brushes, tidy up, sit down for a second, think about it. And then he comes in again and I see it fresh and I think, ooh, oh, ooh yeah. don't like that. And Duncan yeah. will I be like, ooh, don't like that, but we'll sort that out. You know, it's yes. it, 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 that is quite good. Um, but it, for him, you know that's a lot of time to be stuck yeah. in a chair yeah. but he does you know he knows it's important and so yeah. he will sit there he you know he's very respectful and he will sit yeah. there and put up with it basically.
0: But as you said variety is important and there have been other people that you've worked with too and other uh, and and repeat working with other people as well.
1: Yeah yeah I've, I've been lucky you know yes. and it, and it is nice, because uh, having that relationship... Like, I've done quite a few films with Donald Gleason, I've done quite a few films with Kerry Mulligan... Yes. Uh, Natalie Portman and Kate Winslet, you know, and it's just... It's really nice, because it's... Uh, you don't have... You have that shorthand before you've started, you know, you don't have to go through that polite phase or... or the getting-to-know-you y- yeah, part of it. Yeah, or thinking like you have friends. to speak, yes. you know. You just yeah. know they're going to sit in the chair and read the paper or read their emails or... Yes. or go to sleep or whatever it is they happen to do or that morning they want to chat you know it's 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 that not when you're comfortable with someone not having to to worry about it and I and I imagine that for an actor you know they always have to be um you know they've got so much responsibility on their shoulder when you think how many lines they have to learn you know I finish my job they have to go home and study and Memorize their line, then they come to set and they make it look so easy. And you just think, oh, oh, it just comes naturally. And then, but when the makeup trainer, you s- listen to them going over and over their lines and and realize how much work is involved in, in the preparation. And mm-hmm. that's just on the morning. They've done months and months of preparation mm-hmm. before, before that now. to get their character ready.
0: Yeah. So the, the toughest transformation, we've, you've, you've talked about pr- prosthetics, but. Maybe you could say a little bit more about, uh, uh, I have very, I I mean, I can imagine what you mean by that, but what's the range of prosthetics that you've worked with and what's been the toughest transformation?
1: Uh, Well, I think J. Edgar was one of the toughest because I had to age Leo from 18 to 74 and make him look like J. Edgar Hoover, who he looks absolutely nothing like. <laughs> so that was that was challenging, you know, it was uh, teeth, lenses, hair pieces, full prosthetics. Um, and, you know, uh, I- in the makeup world, that got a lot of notice and it, and it was really well received. Mm. The rest, I was just doing his makeup on that, and the rest of the film wasn't that well received. So. It was one of those situations where, y- y- you know, it, it, it's, it was an interesting learning curve. And, um, yeah, it w- but it was... It, I was really pleased with what we ended up managing to achieve with Leo, and I did that with Duncan again, and he did a beautiful sculpt work. And we did the first test on that. On the Clint Eastwood didn't want to put anything on camera to test. He just thought it would all be fine, which was a mistake he made with some of the other characters because some of those makeups weren't quite so successful. And um, I insisted, I said, no, no, I have I have to see this on camera. There is no way I'm not testing this. And we tested it on somebody in the UK and then we went out to America and tested it on Leo and it didn't work. Mm. We were like, well, that, that's... Uh, you know that's not a, it looked much better on the other person you know that <laughs> it wasn't designed for so then duncan went back and re-sculpted it all
0: and made the alterations and then when we shot it
1: it worked and it was great
0: and so the experimentation that takes place and learning each time I, the, it, it, you reminded me of of something about using of doing frosting and it working in one environment and then not in the other or um or paraffin uh, wax, well, I think.
1: Y- Do you know what no, it was it was that we used I on Titanic we used paraffin wax that's it, that's it yes. in the water and um that's what I found to be the best in the beard in um Yes it, it on the Revenant. And I remembered yeah. oh, how did we do that? Yes. I mean it was <laughs> a long time ago. I was like, How, how did you do that? And it w- and but if you put paraffin wax on the eyelashes, the eyes start to smart because of the paraffin. Yeah. So then we figured out that icing, sugar, and water works best in the eyelashes, but you can't get it out. You'd think that would be the easiest thing in the world to get off at the end of the day. <sighs> and that was, like, the, the, the last thing on, which is ridiculous. But, you know, it is interesting that that's, y- y- you know, you when you're designing a makeup, you have to think outside the box. Who would think you'd use icing, sugar, and water on somebody's eyelashes? But, you know, it's not going to, it's innate. It's not going to do any any harm to them uh and it And it was so
0: durable, hmm. so how much of that did you learn? I mean, often when students leave university and go out into the world of work, you know they they say oh, i've learned far more." In one year of work than I ever learned in university or whatever, but so, <laughs> which is really annoying, because <laughs> it's never true. Um, it's 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 a continuum, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It? So so that experimentation and learning, um, how much of the grounding that you got from your your university time or college time was you remember now and think back. Oh, do you know, I still use my college notes. Yes, I've still got right. an
1: enormous folder from history. Um, had a fantastic history lecturer at the London College of Fashion. And a lot of my work is research. You know, when you do a period piece, you have to um, uh, get a lot of reference together, look at a lot of pictures. You read the script first, and then you work out, well, what world is it in? Because you could say, well, it's 1884, but it could be 1884 in the country, or it could be 1884 in the city, upper class, you know, the, the, and those, there's a world of difference between those people, you know, and um, and so at college, he, it, we did a great course on history, I'd done ki- history as A-level, because I'd been interested in it anyway, hmm. but it it's, is actually a massive part of my job research, and um, I still use those notes, and I still remember stuff that I did in college that I call on sometimes mm. at, at work. And I think that college is like when you learn to drive, isn't it? It's like you you learn to drive and then you pass your test and then you sort you of still forget still some of that yes. and then you, l- you learn some new stuff, don't you? It's, uh, it's yeah. I, the, for me, the grounding I had at college was really important.
0: Mm. Yeah. That's. So the... the, the The best thing or the most challenging thing about the job? The best thing is the variety, Mm. you know, and that you're always with
1: different people and um, in different countries and you get the opportunity to live somewhere different, like live in New York or live in Australia or for four months and then you get to come home and be back in Wales again. So you get the best of both worlds. You know, I think that it makes life um, really interesting. It does make it feel like it flies by on certain levels but and you remember your life in a series of films but (laughs) it is a a lovely way to live your life as well at at times um what what was the the question the most challenging most the best thing and the most challenging well it's when you've got a makeup that you know you could ruin the film if you get it wrong (laughs) basically that is quite stressful i mean it's always it's always nerve wracking because it, it, what you're doing is creating a world and um, trying to make it completely believable, um, and there's always an element of of worry. You you can't help, but I try not to think about that. I try to just think, oh, I'm having fun. This is I'm enjoying this, and it's you know it's a, a challenge, rather than think about oh my gosh, if I get this wrong, this is going to cost. Hundred thousand pounds because they'll have to reshoot it. You know, I I just don't. I try not to think
0: about that. And that day to is that a day to day worry? Because once you've once you've decided on a particular makeup for for a character in a film, and it's day after day of shooting, you can't. If you, if the following day you think, well, do you know what? I should have tried something different in the first place. You can't do that, can you? Or can can Um, you? I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I think if it's
1: better. If it doesn't match, if it's better, that's acceptable. I think it's (laughs) foolish to stick with something if it's not working. Sometimes it's terrifying to change it. Obviously, you can't change it enormously because you've got continuity issues. But you can get away with a certain amount. And and like on The Revenant, every day we used to write, after we'd done the makeup, we Mm. used to write notes about... Mm it would have been better if we'd done this bit first and we got that wrong. And we used to write mm. notes about what, which way around and how we would change things because, you know, you learn each time you do something. And to say, you ought, oh, no, we have to do it exactly the same, I think is... Mm. I would have done that when I was younger, but now I'm older and I realise that you can get away with a bit more than you think you can get away with. It's always better to make something better. Mm. If it... What's better, ten minutes of a makeup looking hmm. not so great, or one minute of it not looking s- not so great, and nine minutes of it looking yeah. much better? Yeah. I mean, you just have to make yeah. that call sometimes.
0: Hmm. So, what would what would surprise people most, do you think, about your role? Do you know <laughs> the funniest thing I always find surprising is when
1: people say to me, "Why do you need to read the script?" Hmm. And I'm just <laughs> well of course I need to read the script. You know, it's like, but. People don't, I suppose people don't understand what's involved necessarily in my job. And my job is, you know, when an actor reads a a script, he has to think about his character journey. Well, I have to do the same thing. And I have to be in tune with the actor and know where he wants to look hungover or where he wants to look like he's feeling great or... um, you, on, the, on the Revenant at the end, I remember there was a scene where Leo goes, is back in camp, he's defrosted, and he's back in camp. And um, I wanted to use these contact lenses on him, which made him look really sickly, and I wanted him to look really bad. Because t- for me, that was the moment where I could make the makeup look amazing, because I knew the lighting would be good. I thought, well, this is going to look great. And then when I. When I showed Alejandro, who was the director, well, he was like, No, Sean, no, he can't look that bad. He's got to get up on the horse in half an hour and go out, and we've got to believe that he can go he after this guy mm. and kill him. Mm. No. And I was like, Oh. Oh. So I was like, oh, I can't use my contact lenses. <laughs> so you know, it, 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 <laughs> you know, you have to you have to adapt, and you have to be understand that it's not just your story you're telling. You might want your makeup to look marvelous, but if it doesn't fit in with the story, you yes. can't do that. Mm. And and um, you know, you know, the starting point is the script, and I st- I read it, I study it, I break it down, and quite often we shoot something that is. At the end of the film at the start so you Mm. have to know the whole journey of your character Mm. and if you're chief in the film you have to know the journey of all your characters Mm. and um uh, you know that is the challenge but
0: that's also what's really interesting Mm. Mm. (coughs) so uh, what would you like to do that you haven't done yet
1: I've always wanted to do a fairy film. <laughs> 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 I'd really like to do a film with fairies then. But I've never had one of those. It's a, sort of a fantasy film. I'd love to do something like that. I've never You've done... you had
0: Aliens, but that's not the same at all, is it?
2: Mm, well, that was and, sort and of futuristic, fun. futuristic,
1: I did yes. enjoy that, yeah. yeah. And I like creating alternative universes. Like... Um, in uh, Never Let Me Go, that was a bit like that as well. It's like a world that doesn't really exist. It's a parallel universe sort of thing. So you can steal things from periods and make it a bit quirky and make your own world. I do like doing that. Um, but I would like to do a full-on, I- when I started doing makeup, I loved the illustrations of Brian Froud. And I loved um, Legend and um, Labyrinth and all those films. That Those are the films that really I, I wanted to do makeup for. And um, so I'd love to do something like that. Mm-hmm. but And I'd also love to work in Wales, so a fairy film in Wales. <laughs> there we go. That's what I'd like to do. There we go.
0: We'll, we'll put a call out. <laughs> yeah. <Yes. laughs> put it Fantastic. out there to the universe. Absolutely. You never know. <laughs> So you're an alumnus of Cardiff School of Art and Design, which, of which we're very proud indeed. <laughs> um, we very much see that as the the starting point for people, uh, and and believe in 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 a kind of transdisciplinary opportunity where we'd expect almost to people for people to come out of their experience here very different from how they came in with a, with a different tra- trajectory even and, and, a, and a, uh, not necessarily knowing what they w- where they're going to end up or what they're going to do because the future changes a lot, especially at the moment. But what's your advice for young people starting out now in a career in the creative industries? Well, I'm going to segue here and you'll have to
1: bring me back to okay. that point. But I remember in Howard Gardens the first day we went out and we did some life drawing in um in the the greenhouses in Kincoyd uh, in, in um, the Rose, Park. Rose Park yes and i remember being so upset with my drawing and thinking it was absolutely diabolical i, I was almost in tears i was mortified that this was the first impression that the teachers at the get. college were going to have of me and they were going to think i was rubbish and i remember this one lecturer came up to me saying I think it's quite good, <laughs> and I was, I was, I was, I couldn't hear it. And he was like, "I bet you that ends up being in your final portfolio," and it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it was. What was great for me about the foundation year was it taught me to free up a little bit. I was quite um, rigid. Anthony Evans would probably tell you that I was quite like. Um, uh, I don't know how you, how you describe it. I was very sort of linear and and wanted to copy things precisely and what the foundation year helped me to do was to help me a little bit be able to to free myself a little bit and i i i do remember that from that course and that one day of thinking oh this is absolutely the worst piece of art i've ever produced and it was i did take it to my <laughs> interview for the london college of fashion
0: and and we do tend t- we do tend to Think of the work that we produce in that way as end pieces as mm. opposed to practicing something so yeah. it's, it's every time you do a drawing you're practicing doing a drawing it's not necessarily the end piece just like your experimentation yeah and it's the same a, with making and mean i do find moment. now yeah. that i
1: like i call i always try and have a practice day with the actors and I call it like a sketching play day. And it is a bit like being back in art college and yes. my makeup place looks like a tip and I've had every brush out, every pot out. and pulling everything out from everywhere because I- it's a play day. And it is really, yeah. that is a sort of my funnest day. Yeah. But in that play, you work out, okay, on the day you have to do the makeup test... What you can call them, because you can't mess around like that no. on those days. You have no. to right, be like, right, it's going to take us an hour and a half, and then I will have them ready for camera for yeah. you. You know, but um, mm. I still enjoy that freedom, and uh, and I do think being at art college helped me with that. Yeah. We d-
0: we do have some fairly serious research into play here as mm. part of the creative process, actually. But again, going just to pulling you back then to advice, <laughs> advice to. Young and sometimes not so young people uh, starting out do you know it's really hard because it, it
1: you know somebody 's got to make it somebody I never thought i 'd end up doing films that was not my ambition at all. I would have been quite happy doing the makeup for the news you know I, I think you can you can find fun in whatever you do and I think that um, it, you know I, I never and it never crossed my mind that I would end up doing film i, I don't know why i just didn't didn't aspire, I didn't aspire, I think I probably wasn't very um, ambitious. It, that doesn't mean to say I didn't want to do well or didn't want to do a good job. I just never thought that would happen hmm. to me somehow. <laughs> and I was just lucky things sort of fell on fell, me in a way, yes. but I did work really, really hard. And I think because I was dyslexic in school, I always had to work twice as hard as anyone else to do half as well. So when I got to work in the film industry, um you know my first break i I was on the floor picking up the pins on the crowd tent i made sure i was in before everybody had knew exactly how they had their tea and coffee and it was there waiting for them when they arrived and then i'd leave after everybody and i wasn't getting paid you know i just uh, i think it's just enjoying whatever it is you're doing like i I was enjoying learning from these people and making their life more comfortable. Well, if you can make people's life more comfortable, hmm. they're going to want you. You back. become indispensable. You know <laughs> they are because there's plenty of people out there who want to do makeup, and of course, I, I, you th- when you're learning that's what you want to do, but. And makeup artist cannot give a 21-year-old an actor. You just can't do that. You know, it's just, it's not fair on the actor. It's not tw- fair on the 21-year-old. You can't give them that sort of responsibility. A trainee should be nurtured mm-hmm. and should be, it's my job now I think when I have a trainee to teach that person and to, to nurture them and, and give them the courage. Not all my bosses were quite that kind <laughs> with me in the past, but although that was painful at the time, I think that helps you in the future to, to realise ha- what, helps, what helps bring out the best in people. Hmm. And as a head of department, now that's invaluable. So although those experiences may not have been great, I think they make me a better boss now.
0: Hmm. Hmm. That's great. Thank you. So the public, the public, apart from all the film buffs, here and uh, tend to focus on <coughs> the glamour, don't they? On the big names, the directors. Who, who do you most admire in the film industry? <sighs> do you know, I think, I, I think directors and actors
1: are really brave. I, I just, I wouldn't want to do that job. I don't understand why people want to do it. I really don't, but I'm really glad people do. You know, when you think what an actor does and how they lay themselves out to be criticised, and uh, and also directors, you know, they're only as good as their last job. Well, if a makeup artist doesn't do such a great job on one film, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll never work again. But for an actor, it really can mean that. And also, mm. uh, you know, their image and, and, the and now their whole life is under the microscope. You know, it's just... I'm glad people are prepared to do that. I don't understand why they are, mm. and and I also think that directors, how they, uh, the questions all the time of, what do you want, what do you want, h- how they answer those and are uh, sure in their own mind what they want and and give the crew that support. Mm. I think it's a really tough job, mm. and I don't think people realise. It. They they think, oh, how fabulous to be famous, how fabulous to be a big director. It's also really hard responsibility. yeah huge responsibility
0: mm. Mm. so w- the final question that I have before we throw it open to the floor is what are you working on next uh, well my next job I've just started it um, and it's
1: called Enola Holmes and it's 1884 and it's about the daughter the sister of Sherlock Holmes and it's mm. a series of books. And she's a 15 year old girl and she's a, and it's you know a bit a bit um just before the suffragettes, but it's the beginning of that sort of movement of women um, uh, wanting to have a voice and and not being just a wife and just a mother um, and not being able to own property and 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 it sort of touches on all that, but in quite a humorous way um and it's quite a fun film, and I've been doing the research on... uh, This week, I've been researching some of the hair and trying to find lots of pictures of young girls in 1884, and, you know, it's quite hard to find that stuff, Mm. and uh, it's easier now we have the internet, um, but still, you can't Google search and say 1884 hair because beware anyone who does that. It's not always 1884 hair. You know, it could be... 10 decades, it could be a decade yeah, out, yes. and that can make a massive difference. You know, you can't always rely on the internet to get it right. And, you know, I've been doing it for a while now, so I know what periods are, are which, and I can usually figure it out. But um, I really enjoy that, trying to look at the pictures and think, oh, how can I make that work for this person? And, and also, how interestingly, some of it looks really modern. Or mm. you're thinking, I had no idea they had fringes in that period, mm. and that they <laughs> had such unattractive attractive hairdos. <laughs> but then the next person will have a gorgeous hairdo. But you know, it, it's like in it now. You know, it, it, everyone has different um, looks, and it may not be your taste. But they love th- love their hair, and mm. and in, in You use that for different characters in the film and think, well, this hairdo is going to be great for this person and this is going to be great for that person. So, you know, when you're researching, you have that in your mind all Mm. the time.
0: Mm. Is that a book
1: adaptation, Ilona? I think it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Mm. I think there's a series of books, but I haven't read them. No. I quite often don't read the books because I find it then confuses me. Mm. With the, I did that mistake on the beach and then they changed the script so much yes. and I kept thinking, where am I in the, in, in that. I, I, in the story? And, and um, it, it, it complicates the continuity for me. So I try not to do
0: that. Mm. Or previous films, for that matter. Yeah, I try not to do that either. Yeah. Because then you think, oh, I'm never going to make it look like that. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Or I can do better than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to... I'm n- we're now going to... I'm looking here at our... Yeah, we have our microphone holders in place <laughs> here. And so I'm, w- I'm going to ask the audience, and the, the, the people holding the microphones <coughs> will find you if you put your hand up. There we go. Hello, Um, so you spoke um, really directly about knowing your limitations on taking a job, which is really great, and then the importance of looking at the narrative uh, for figuring out what you're going to do in your job. But how much does the actual narrative content of, of that film, of that script and of what they're trying to do with that film play into your decision to take that? Because we've got, we got some language around that now with things like Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter, Trans Lives Matter. Do those kind of... And, and any other movement that, that's about equality, do any of those kind of things come into your decision-making process to take that film in the first place and to tell that story? Um, do you know what? When you get...
1: Um, like The one that springs to mind is the Suffragettes, because when I read that script, I was like... Oh my word, I had no idea what these women went through. I remember my grandmother in Cornwall talking about these suffragettes who, are, she she referred to them as being a bit mad. And hmm. not in a necessarily negative way, but in a, like, you know, they used to chain themselves to railings. And I didn't really know that much about them. I'd brushed on it in history at, at school, but I hadn't really done much on them. And then when when, I read the script and realized what these women had done for us. Well, I I will never not vote again, let's put it like that. You know, they were force-fed, they were beaten, they were assaulted in a very unpleasant manner by the police um, and by thugs that were put into the crowd and stuff. And and what they went through, I think, uh, as women, and just generally for the population to understand. I thought that film was really important. I was disappointed it, it didn't get enough publicity to do that well, because I thought it had a very important message and um, for everyone to understand that 100 years ago, we weren't that far off from how um, um, Iran or Iraq is now, you know, with the, the women not having the vote and stuff. You know, that was, it was 100 years ago. You couldn't own property, <laughs> you know it's if you if, if you your husband could take your children away from you, it was just unbelievable <laughs> that, that that we had absolutely no power whatsoever and what these women went through and sacrificed in order for us to have what we have now um, so I did find that really interesting, and that that script I was working with Carrie Mulligan on another film, and um, she put me up for it, and I was Really hoping I would get that one because I just thought it was a really fascinating subject matter and an important story.
0: And that interest that you have in history again as well.
1: Yeah, and y- you know, usually I'm lucky. I've that th- most of the films I've worked on. I think probably all of the films I've worked on. I, I've I've enjoyed the script and I've thought I want to work on this. If it, if I read a script and I think oh, this is terrible. I wouldn't even go for an interview because it's just, I mean, you can't always, you don't always have that luxury. Sometimes you have to pay the bills, hmm. you know, and a, a lot of people are in that situation, and I have been in that situation. But when I'm not in the situation where I, I have to take a job, I would always take the job that interests me.
0: Hmm. Okay.
3: Thank you. Hi. <coughs> Hello, Sean. Thanks for coming out tonight. Um, potentially, this is a, a ghoulish question. Obviously, you had to do some rather bizarre research for uh, the bear injuries for um, the revenant i was just wondering what the, the weirdest thing you've ever had to research or google is on, on a production
1: oh my word that's a good question i'm trying to think what is the bizarrest thing i've ever had to research well the bear attack was pretty um horrendous you know and and uh the director and uh, they had all this footage of actual real bear attacks, because of course you can find anything on the internet now. Um, And they... I actually refuse to watch it. I really don't need to watch that. Um, Duncan will watch that, because he loves a bit of gore, and I will get nightmares, because I do. I'm really squeamish, actually. (laughs) And I remember the first time I ever had to research anything like that was on Saving Private Ryan, and I got sent off to the War Museum in London, and they gave me special access to the library to mm. look at all the injuries from the shrapnel and the bonds. And I was so disturbed by it. Mm. I, I I did have a problem with it. And what I've learned to do is to try and think of it as a makeup. I try not to think of it as being a person anymore. Because um, otherwise, it's, yeah. It's, I, I find it really difficult. Um, and so now I, I look at it from a technical point of view and just think of it as a makeup. But I do not need to watch somebody being savaged by a bear in order to understand what their injuries are going to look like. I can see the injuries, I don't need to watch the spectacle, is ha- how I feel about it. But tha- that's because I'm really squeamish. <coughs> Over here. Thanks very much for your um,
3: wonderful introduction and interview this evening i'm particularly enjoying it um, what i wanted to ask you particularly was um, to do with more historic if you like and it's it's basically because of families you know that have um, maybe a connection with actors and actresses of the past um, so i'm wondering how much you know research you've had to do for instance with films such as um, including Douglas Fairbanks and going back to the, f- the old Hollywood movies and maybe, you know, the first productions? Uh, yeah, we d- you know, like for um,
1: Aviator, we had to do a lot of research on, yeah. on Hollywood actors because they were in it. Um, and quite often you end up with historical characters that you have to reproduce, like J. Edgar or mm-hmm. Howard Hughes or... Um, a lot of time they're fictional, but you even if even if a character is fictional, you try and base it on r- real life yes. and and you know with things like um I always try and make it as real as possible, so with like suffragettes for instance mm-hmm. they you have to think about these working class women they were all living in tenements with no running water and just to wash their clothes. You know, well, they wouldn't wash their clothes. Because how do you do that? How do you physically get the water up there, heat it up when you're doing 18 hours days working your fingers to the bone? You don't wash your hair. You They tried really hard to keep up their appearances, but they couldn't possibly have clean hair. So for me, uh, uh, one of the first things I said to all the actresses is your hair is going to be dirty this whole film. And so I worked out a way of doing it so they could have clean. they could wash their hair, yeah. but I used to make or or it it was really important to me that their hair looked grubby. And when I did a a film that was based in the 70s, what I realised was uh, we were trying to do these hairdos, and I was like, oh my God, they just don't look right. I don't understand. Why didn't any of these look right? I I sort of vaguely remember that period. They just don't look right. And uh, it suddenly occurred to me that the punks all had dirty hair. We all had dirty hair in the 70s. We didn't wash our hair every day. You know, it was like once a week. So or you know it w- and you, those things are what make it look believable and and it, sometimes you just you look at it and you think why is this not working and it, you have to step back and look at it and think why is that and and with the 70s film i was i was really surprised i was like no, this isn't working. I just don't understand why none of this is looking right. And we were like, well, do we go back to using egg whites? What, what do we do to make this look right? And in the end, it came down to, I used the same technique I did on suffragettes mm-hmm. to make their hair grubby yeah. because uh, that was what made the hair look
3: believable. I'm just wondering what sort of techniques they used years ago. I mean, I have a particular oh. interest anyway because I have... Um, You know, obviously connections to Douglas Fairbanks and the film Sully, of course, Uh which is reflective of my surname. But uh, when I've looked at the history and I've read the books and I've done all the family research, I just never come across anything um, connected to the actual makeup artists or how they worked you know and that's what interests me mm. um well
1: you you know uh, there are lots of books on makeup artists and um historic makeup artists obviously the more famous ones like max factor people have heard yeah. of other ones like dick smith that i would have heard of that necessarily nobody else has heard of but um y- yeah the techniques were very different back yeah. then and w- you know, they didn't, ha- it's like at my mum, when she had to do a burn makeup, she used the inside of, of a shell, uh, of a, uh, an eggshell. You know, she peeled off the skin to make the skin look, um, thing. and now I can just go out and buy something that does that, you know, but you, d- it was very difficult. And also the color and the, hmm. the lighting, I worked on something on Aviator, we did um, something where it was, um, the precursor to technicolor and it was uh, the colors were very different and you, we had to rethink our whole color palette to make it work which is what they had to do and, uh, and when my mum she uh, and also my other boss tina Earnshaw, she started when it went from black and white to color and they suddenly needed a whole load of new makeup artists and new techniques because the technique you use for black and white is totally different from That's so colour. That's so interesting, really, isn't it, mm. to hear that, uh, it,
0: It's making me think as well about the, the, the actual material, the chemical makeup of... M- of sorry, yes, the qu- chemical makeup of makeup and, and the the technical aspect of that... You know, we, uh, I'm sure people my age can remember their grandmothers and the lipstick they would have that had that you wouldn't probably it w- you wouldn't be able to buy it now because it's probably poisonous or yeah. or dangerous <laughs> in some way or yeah. you know. And you go back to Elizabethan times and everybody was dying of whatever it was, the mochari, lead poisoning, lead yeah. poisoning, <laughs> yeah, the lead the 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 lead makeup. Mm. So there's a, a, a the history of makeup is what we t- is is yes.
1: But there are, th- you know, there are books on that, and th- and also my history teacher, uh, you know, when at college I, I always refer to those notes, and and when I'm going back to a period, I think, all right, let's let's get this back out again, and r- yes. r- try and refresh my memory, what yes. was going on, but also it's good to remember what's happening in history at that time as yes. well, just to brush yourself up a little bit on thinking what is actually happening y- in yes. that world at that time.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Thank you. To another one here and.
2: Yeah. Hi, good evening. Okay. Um, my question was just about tenacity, really. So I know you mentioned in college about questioning yourself, and I find as an artist I'm always still wondering, is it good enough, is it good enough? And I know with how hugely successful you are. I wondered, throughout your career, was there ever a time where it wasn't necessarily afters and huge accolades, and if there was ever a time you questioned if this was, if you were gonna continue with it, or if you had a time that you kind of struggled to network and get your foot in the door?
1: Do you know, I think I've been really lucky. In all honesty, I have been lucky, and I've worked on really nice projects, and I've had really nice bosses who've taken me on to the next job and stuff. Um, But I do remember on the first film I ever did, which was Howard's End, I worked with an amazing makeup artist called Chrissy Beveridge, who does beautiful makeup. And I, I used to look at her makeup and think, I'll never be able to do it like that. She's a genius. And um, she <laughs> she, one day she she let slip that she was nervous. And I just said to her, how can you possibly be nervous? And she was like, oh, Sean, it just gets worse. It just gets worse. <laughs> As you go older, it just gets worse. Honestly, you, you've got, you're a trainee now. You're allowed to make mistakes. As you get older, you're not really allowed to make mistakes. And I, often think of that and I often think back to it and think the freedom of being a trainee and, and being allowed to make mistakes, of course you never want to make them but you're not expected to get everything right whereas now if I'm being sent somewhere as a personal makeup artist and I'm getting paid well to do it, I feel I have to be able to do everything and do everything really well, better than anybody else could do or at least try and do it better than anyone else could ever do and that puts an enormous amount of pressure on you. Thank you.
0: We have time for one more question.
2: Oh, thank you. I feel (laughs) really lucky now. Um, Thank you for this evening. It's been wonderful listening to you. Do you need any makeup trainees? (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for the. (laughs) Sorry, I thought I'd be cheeky enough to ask because they say you've got to be cheeky in this industry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you always need makeup trainees. Okay, that is. Is that a
2: yes, (laughs) Sean? Can I have your email at the end <laughs> of the night, please?
0: <laughs> Send your CV in. <laughs> no, I will yeah. let
2: you into a little story, though. About two years ago, because um, I, c- I went into the career as an older, um, mature lady then. I let my, my son's a young actor, actually, just... Uh, Uh, qualified from college, so um, I was a lot older going into the makeup, even though I've had a massive, um, it's always something I wanted to do, and I remember ringing Gem's agency about two years ago, three years ago, and I said is it possible if I emailed you, would you be able to get it over to Sean Craig for me, or Sean Craig? I wasn't sure how to pronounce at the time, and they were like um, we'd have to ask her agent, but we're not really sure about that, because at the moment she's out the country filming, I'm assuming you might have been on that Probably The Revenant, yeah um, (laughs) No, all jokes aside um what's the one thing in your kit that you could not do without oh do you know what i i always go back to stuff that chrissy
1: Beveridge had in her makeup kit which is really weird and that's the first job i ever did and she had this shading color and this um sort of a weird aubergine color that i use all the time and she had this weird, uh, and she used this cake eyeliner, which of course you can't get anymore. But I've still got like four hmm. of them, Th- and they, they they can't go bad. You know, they, you mix it with water, so it's fine. And uh, I use those on every film, on nearly on every single actor, or actress I work on. The powder, is it like a flesh it's actually it's actually a grease, okay. and um, it, it's really good for shading under here. Um, now people use bronzers more for that sort of thing. But I tend to do makeups that are um, are, are not to look like it's a makeup. So I try and use colors that are naturally in the skin. So if you think about under your eyes and, and things, you can use those sort of colors to define an eye or define a jawline without it looking like it's makeup necessarily. Um, and they can be quite those sort of colors can be really useful, and she taught me a lot about that. Thank you. I wish you luck, and I, you I, f- I do want to say, thank you so much, everyone, for
0: coming tonight on your Friday That's night, absolutely. I feel really no, bad. I wouldn't have missed it, and thank <laughs> you very much for all the questions that have come from the audience. That's lovely. It's left for me to, just to just to rethink, and just to remind <laughs> us that Whale Screen, the Diffusion Festival, Hobson's Charity, my very own cardiff met thank you for the support this evening and thanks again for bafta for gifting the portrait of Sham that we've seen downstairs to the cardiff school of art and design which is marvelous we're we're thrilled to be able to celebrate the such a successful career of somebody who started out on this journey uh, with us at the school of art and design so let's have a very warm round of applause for sean thank, thank you very <laughs> 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 much
3: okay, okay. okay. <laughs> thank you.